All right, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the beautiful weather. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a church, as a church family to worship you. And Lord, we just ask that you would be here with us. Well, we know you're here with us, Lord, but may your spirit teach us. May your spirit stir in us, Lord God. May you be blessed and honored, Lord. We give you this time, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure we've all been there before where we have wanted something in a place in our life, where we wanted something so bad that we found ourselves saying, please, please, God, right? Please. I was like that for three weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. I dropped off some food to my daughter who had COVID at the time, and I, I took my time, made sure she was okay, And then as I left, I got in my car, pulled off to the side of the road, and put on the Rams game, (laughs) championship game. And watching that thing, I was saying, please, God, I don't know if this is the right thing to do to pray for this, but please, can they win? Please? And then two weeks later, watching the Super Bowl, literally, I almost went down on my knees. Lord, I know I prayed this already. I don't know if this is okay, but can they please, please win this game? Now, I know someone, some Cincinnati Bengal fan also prayed that prayer as well, right? I'm not saying that God answered my prayer for the Rams to win because I prayed it. I'm sure there's a lot of Bengals fans. A lot of people had money on the Bengals or something like that, right? But in all seriousness, we've all at some point in time pleaded with God to answer our prayers, right? And probably many times we felt, or it would feel like, God was not answering our prayers, right? Truthfully, God answered our prayers probably a lot more than we realize. But when we face uncertain times, there are moments when we plead, Lord, please, please, please lead me. Please show me the way. Please answer my prayer. We've all been there, I'm sure. In fact, maybe some of us have have learned over time that we even pray, Lord, if it's your will, will you please? Right? How many of us, you don't have to raise your hands, have learned to pray, God, if it's your will. Right? If it's your will, can this happen? Now, I'm sure... I'm not alone that many of us at some point in time, if not every time, struggle reconciling ourselves with God's will, right? God's will has become a very Christianese kind of thing to say. Well, if it's God's will, right? But do we have the right approach? Even if we get to the point where we pray for God's will, have we gotten to the point where we understand what that means? Do we have the right approach and understanding of what it means to pray for God's will? Now, I don't venture to think that I can give you all the answers to your individual situations, 
what you are specifically praying for God's will about. I, I, don't, I won't be able to give you clear answers in all your situations. But here's my hope that today's passage will provide at least some insight, some way of helping us to sort out our hearts, our minds, our attitudes when we start to pray for God's will in a given situation, right? So when we're going to look at, we're going to look at Jesus' encounter today, and we're not going to neglect the story. We're going to read the story and allow the story to teach us. And hopefully through that, we'll be able to gain some principles, some lessons for us to learn in our own situations. Maybe in your own situations as you are searching for and praying for God's will. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And just a review of what we went over with last week. We saw that Jesus entered the synagogue in Capernaum to teach the people. We saw that it was a priority for Jesus to preach the kingdom of God and to teach the people. And while he was at the synagogue, he was confronted by a man with a demon spirit, an unclean spirit. And we saw that when, they saw, when he was confronted with Jesus, the, the, the demon cried out, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And we saw that Jesus didn't allow the demon to speak any further, but rebuked him, quiet him, shut him up, and cast the demon out of the man. And we talked a little bit about this Friday night, and you know, I thought a little bit more about this, about why the demon said we. Was the demon referred to he and, or it and the other demons, or was it referring to the man that the demon possessed? Right? And I started thinking about it, and I'm, I started to kind of lean towards perhaps maybe the demon is referring to he, the demon, and the man he possesses. Or you've come to destroy us. But of course, Jesus didn't come to destroy him. What did he do? He cast the demon out, but saved the man. Right? Who's the us? Who's the we? It's up to debate, but I'm just kind of, I'm navigating, I'm kind of praying over that, what that means. But what we did see, after Jesus casts out the demon, and later on, he goes to Simon's home. And there he heals Simon's mother-in-law from a fever. And then word began to spread about Jesus in the city. And so the people in the city began to bring the sick, bring those who were possessed by demons to go see Jesus. And Jesus healed and delivered people into the night. So we saw how Jesus went viral. Word got spread and spread quickly among the city. And so people began to bring people to Jesus. And we saw three reasons last week about why Jesus went viral, why his name went out. We saw one, Jesus' authority in his teaching. There was authority in his teaching. There was something about Jesus' teaching, what he was saying that was unique about everything else they were hearing. The second thing we saw that those Jesus had authority over the spiritual He was casting out demons. These demons had to obey Jesus. And the third, we saw that Jesus had authority over the physical, that he was healing. He was miraculously healing the people. So these three things that we see that Jesus was doing caused the stir and brought people to see Jesus. So now it brings us to verse 35. So here we have 35, Mark 1. 
And it says, And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. So word about Jesus spread throughout the city. They were lined up at the door. Now, if you think about it, isn't this a great thing? Isn't this great? This scene, people, words getting out, and they're coming to Jesus. Anyone in ministry would see this situation as a great success, right? Something is working. If you had a business, wouldn't it be a great thing that you saw customers lined outside the door waiting for your services? That would be a great thing, right? You wouldn't want to change a thing. This sounds like a great problem to have. It would be hard to walk away from a scenario like this, right? Things are going great. Why would you leave? Why change a good thing? Look how Jesus responds. First, in the early morning, before the sun breaks, Jesus goes somewhere to be alone. After that busy night... He made it a priority before even the sun rose. He goes to a quiet place, a solitary place, to pray. I think beyond needing the quiet, because sometimes I can see how that would be needed, right? You're dealing with a lot of people. Some of you who are doctors or something, you've seen a lot of patients. I'm sure the first thing you would love to do afterwards is just to be quiet, to be alone for a little bit, right? Jesus, I think beyond being alone, The reason he goes to pray. Take time of solitude and quiet to pray. And I believe this time of prayer prepares Jesus for the demands of ministry and his mission, dealing with people, meeting the needs of the people, where to go, all these things. This time alone with the Father will prove helpful because this time alone won't last very long. Verse 36, and Simon and his companions hunted for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. That word to to hunt it for them is to seek in order to find, to seek, require, demand. Simon, as as soon as he got up, he said, the people are looking all over for you, Jesus. We would think that's a good thing. Jesus was in demand. But see, Jesus was not on a political campaign, right? He was not in it for the popularity contest or to please the populace. He was focused on a mission. He told them, let's go somewhere else to towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. The feeling of being in demand, being wanted, can even be, or even needed, can be quite addicting. If you've ever been in that situation, you can relate. Knowing that you're in demand, that people need you, That's an addicting feeling, especially in ministry. Ministry is no exception. 
You ask anyone who's been in ministry or in a pastoral role, that feeling of people wanting you, needing you, wanting your attention, that can be an addicting feeling, experience. People can get a rush from popularity, right? It's easy to get caught up in the attention and the demand from others, especially when you're successful. When Jesus was in high demand, what does he do? We need to go elsewhere. He needed to leave to go to the other towns so that he can preach to them. His purpose was his priority. I imagine there were people who still wanted to be healed, still wanted to hear Jesus where he was. Why did Jesus have to leave? Why disrupt some seemingly a good thing? I wonder, you can only speculate, but perhaps Jesus left enough experience for people to be able to testify who Jesus was. Maybe he did enough in the place so that they can tell everyone else about him. Don't quite know. Verse 39. Verse 39, And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. So again, we see Jesus goes to the place where people were taught. He went to the synagogues, and there he began preaching and casting out demons. Verse 40, And a leper came to him, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to. Be cleansed. Now, Jesus healed many people, right? He casted many demons out of people. And we can assume that if an author singles out an emotion, a situation, individuals, a response, there must be something unique about this encounter, this situation. I think we can safely assume there's something memorable about this particular encounter. Both Matthew and Luke also include this incident in their accounts. So of all the people that Jesus healed, ministered to, delivered, this leper stands out. I say leper, not leopard, right? I'm going to hope I don't say leopard. This leper stands out. This leper doesn't ask just to be healed, but he asks to be cleansed. To make me clean. Now, leprosy was not just a physical ailment at the time. If you were found to have leprosy, you were deemed unclean. This meant physical isolation from others. There was a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual toll on somebody who had leprosy because they were an outcast. They couldn't be around everybody. Those of us who had, you know, you got COVID. You may have experienced what it feels like to be isolated. Right? When, 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 I, when I got it, I, felt, I didn't feel too bad. But the hardest part was that I couldn't just go be around my family. I felt like I had to walk around and say, unclean, unclean, here I come, right? Mask up, go into your doors, go into your rooms. Clean up after me and all that kind of stuff. I think one of the hardest effects of this whole pandemic was the isolation, right? 
People feeling isolated from other people. Especially if you got COVID, you felt like you were unclean. You couldn't be around anybody. The leper had to present themselves to the priests. And it was the priest that evaluates the person and that can deem them clean, healed, and can restore them back into society. So this leper was desperate to be made clean. And he presents himself to Jesus, an unacceptable act in itself, right? He is a leper. He needs to maintain distance. But he goes to Jesus. And Jesus was moved with compassion. This word moved with compassion, literally to be moved as to one's bowels. Your innards disturbed. Or to be moved with compassion. Now when my bowels feel moved or disturbed, I'm not thinking compassion, right? Maybe it's like indigestion or something, right? I don't know what it is, but every morning, I, you know, I Furnace, I don't know if you're here, but, you know, when I go into CE, I'm sitting in, have you ever been there where you're in a quiet room, and what happens? Your stomach's gurgling, right? It's making noises, and you're kind of like covering it up to make sure no one hears it. Well, next time that happens, you can say, my compassion in me is being stirred, right? I'm feeling compassion. That's what that is, right? But literally in that time, they associated emotions and desires with the inner workings of your body. So literally, Jesus was being moved with compassion. Now, what's the extent of Jesus' compassion? He says, I am willing to be cleansed. Jesus touches the man, and the man is made clean. Now, if you touch somebody who is unclean, you also would be made unclean. You would be considered unclean. But Jesus did not wait for the man to be clean to touch him. The leper was healed and made clean after Jesus touched the man. Notice the two details of healings that we are meant, that's mentioned in Mark. The first one, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was instantly healed when Jesus took her by the hand raised her up, and she was healed. And here we see Jesus sees this leper, reached out and touched the leper, declared him clean. Jesus' touch instantly healed both. Isn't this a beautiful picture of Jesus' touch? The touch of Jesus. Jesus took on our sin that makes us unclean. So that we can be made clean. Jesus not only heals us, but makes us clean. There's a burden to sin. There's a weight to sin. And there's this feeling of being unclean. Many don't realize that they can be restored they can be healed, and they can be made clean. They don't have to carry the weight and the burden of sin. They don't have to feel unclean anymore. But so many people don't realize what Jesus can give them, what Jesus can do, and they get so used to the burden, so used to the feeling of being unclean, 
that they just assume that that's just how it is. That's just how it'll always be. And over the course of time, people get desensitized to the, the, the shame and the guilt of sin. They get used to feeling unclean. So that just becomes normal. I go back to this. Jesus could have done this in any order, but he touched, he declared, and he healed. Notice again, only the priest could declare the person clean, but yet Jesus said, you are clean. I am willing. Be cleansed. Jesus' compassion leads to our forgiveness our healing, and our cleansing. I was, reading, I was looking at the story, and I thought about it for a little bit. What moved Jesus with compassion? He's been healing many people, but for some reason, in this instance, Mark makes a note, and the other gospels make a note, something stirred Jesus with compassion. And I don't think it was the leprosy, I'm sure Jesus had compassion for those who had leprosy. I'm sure Jesus had compassion for those who were sick. But I tend to think there was something about this man. Perhaps it was his attitude, how he approached Jesus. Look at what it said, the three things we see. A leper came to him, beseeching him, begging him. He came begging with this level of desperation to Jesus. He didn't just sit where he was and hope Jesus would come by. He had such a level of desperation that he sought out Jesus. The second thing we see, he falls on his knees before him. He fell with this expression of honor and reverence. He didn't come challenging Jesus. If you are this some miracle worker, you can make me clean. If you are who you say you are, I dare you to heal me. No, he came, went down on his knees, an expression of honor and reverence. And the third thing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He acknowledged Jesus' power. There doesn't seem to be any doubt in his mind whether Jesus can do it. He says, if you are willing to do it. He defers to Jesus' willingness. Now, can we relate to this leper when we approach God for something we're desperate for? Our petitions, our prayers. This word for willing, to will or have in mind, to intend, to desire, to wish, to take delight in, to have pleasure. Mark uses this verb 26 times throughout his gospel account. And we'll see later on in the gospel, he uses it in a very dramatic scene. But can we relate to this leper? I'm sure we may have begged God, right? We may have the begging down. We got that down pat. Lord, please, 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 right? We may even be willing to fall on our knees. Go on our knees. God, please. We may be able to acknowledge his power and his authority that, yes, he can do it. Are we willing to defer to his will? In his pleasure. When we pray for something, are we willing to defer to God's will and his pleasure? And that's the whole trick of it all, right? In seeking God's will. 
that deferring part? When we say we're seeking God's will, a lot of times we're, see, we're saying, is it God's plan? Right? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, have thought when you think of God's will, you think of, is it God's plan? I believe many associate God's will with God's plan, but sometimes in a manner that kind of detaches from any sense of emotion or pleasure. This is God's plan, and that's how it's going to be. Parents, or kids, parents, when you're asking your kids to do a chore, what's the common attitude? Us as kids, when our parents ask us to do a chore, what's the common attitude? I'll do it because I have to. Right? (laughs) I think someone said, like, no. (laughs) I'll do it because they told me to. Right? How many of you students here When your parents tell you to do something, you say, you know what? I'm going to do it because it brings them pleasure. I'm going to do it because, you know what? They will delight in me doing something for them. I want to do it for my mom and dad. Based on the laughter, that doesn't happen very much. Because frankly, it can be difficult to submit to the Lord's will because it means deferring to God's desire over ours. Right? It seems that when people pray for God's will, and I'm going to include myself in it, many times what we're really wanting is for God to conform His desire to our desire. Right? When we say, God, if it's your will, well, inside our hearts we're saying, God, Can you change your desire to meet my desire? That's our initial prayers at times. But more than just praying whether something is within God's plan, can we say, will it bring Him pleasure? Is what we're praying for, can it bring Him glory? Would our response to His response to our prayers bring Him glory? Will it bring Him pleasure? Or are we simply just asking for our own pleasure? Look what happens in verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see, that's, see, and, let me start, let me slow, slow down. Verse 44, and he said to him, Jesus saying to the leper, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. Catch what happens? Jesus heals him, leprosy leaves him immediately, declares him clean, but he sternly warns the leper, instructs him, don't tell anybody. Just go to the priest. Show yourself to him as a testimony to them. Why did Jesus tell him not to say anything? Well, one, we know we told him, he told him to show himself to the priest because by law, the priest had to declare him clean. So by law, just said, go lawfully, go to the priest. Show him what happened. Be a testimony to him. Let him designate you clean, restore you. But he also warned him to keep the situation private. 
Look what happens, verse 45. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and, and to spread the news about to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Now, we don't know the full reasons why this leper didn't just listen to Jesus. Why didn't he just listen to Jesus? But I think we can imagine, especially today in our culture where it's like something good happens and we have to tell everybody, right? We have to post it on everywhere. We have to share it everywhere and all that kind of stuff. So to us, it might kind of seem like, well, why didn't he? Why is this such a big deal? Why is it a big deal that he didn't? Isn't it a natural when something that, like that happens that you have to tell everybody? But we see the effects of it. We see that it was not Jesus' desire for this to happen. Sometimes our will does not match up with God's will, even if we have good intentions. I don't know the intentions of this man. All I see is the results. All we see is that Jesus warned him, don't tell anybody about this. Just show yourself to the priest. Sometimes our will, our desires, as good intentions as there may be, is not God's intentions. Sometimes we desire the right thing, to do the right thing, even excited about it, but sometimes it's in conflict with God's desire for the situation. And therein lies this issue, right? We face a lot of times the conflict between our desire and God's desire. So what is this situation kind of, how does this story help us in a big picture and then in our own private lives? Well, let's look at some big picture things about this story for a second. One, we see Jesus continues to show his authority over the spiritual and the physical, right? Jesus continues to heal. Jesus continues to cast out demons. We see that Jesus does not let the people dictate his mission. He doesn't let the people dictate it. He's clear on his mission. He's clear on his journey. And he may even be able to and not even, or may even, he's able to make the decisions that is needed at the time. The people don't dictate it. The people wanted Jesus to stay. They're searching for him. He said, no, we need to move on, right? The third thing we see in the big picture of Jesus' journey, Jesus stays focused on his mission. He teaches and preaches to the people. He's making the case for faith. He's making the case, not only in word, but in deed, of why they should believe who he is. So we see this big picture, these themes that are continuing in Mark. But let's look at some personal lessons that we can gather from the story. One of the things we see, if God gives me what I want in the manner which I want, would it bring God glory? We see this in the leper. says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If what we're praying for Can we switch it from just saying, is it God's plan? But can we add to that, Lord, does this bring you delight? Would it bring you glory? Would it honor you? Would it please you? If I do not get what I want in the manner in which I want, would I still give you glory? Right? Whether you give me what I want, would it bring you glory? Would it please you? Or if I don't, can I still give you glory? Can I still honor you? Our heart's desire should be to please God and not just get everything we want. 
Right? We've got to change this idea that God is some kind of genie in a lamp, that if we rub it the right way, he'll come out and give us whatever we wish in the manner in which we want it. Instead, our desire should be, God, I want to please you. I want to give you glory. Even in my prayer request, in the manner in which it's answered, I want it to be pleasing and honoring to you. We should always be willing to do so for the Lord, to seek that. So here's some things to kind of think about, to marinate over in this lesson. Four things. One, be prepared for God's will. Be prepared for God's will. We see see this with Jesus. He had a crowd the night before. What does he do the next morning? He goes to a quiet place to pray. He takes time to listen and quiet his heart. I think we need to take that time to listen and quiet our hearts to God. We need to be able to identify our desires so that we can distinguish between God's desires. Be prepared for God's will. So if you're praying for something, understand, okay, what is my will? This is what I desire, God. So that you can be ready to distinguish, okay, here's your desire. Is it going to be God's desire for you? Take that time for quietness, stillness, and prayer before God. The second thing, be flexible to God's will. We can have desires, but be flexible to God's molding and leading. Don't assume the answer to your prayers is going to look exactly the way you want it. Jesus simply could have stayed in that town and had the people come to him. Things would look great. But Jesus said, you know what? We must go. We must go to the other places that I may teach and preach, that I may minister to those towns and cities. We have, when we're praying for God's will, you have to be flexible to what God's will is going to look like, right? I met, you know, in Facebook, Facebook reminded me eight years ago, I posted, I said, God's watch always tells the perfect time. I share, I share that because that just seems kind of appropriate. We have to be flexible. Sometimes God's timing does not meet our timing, but know that his timing is going to be perfect. The third thing, be submissive to God's will with humility and reverence. Be submissive to God's will with humility and reverence. We're not entitled to be blessed by God as in the way that which we want it. God doesn't owe us anything more. So we need to go to him in our prayers with humility and reverence and knowing that we can let go of control and trust and reverence and fear of God. When you're praying for God's will, you have to be willing to let go of your control and having to demand what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to look like, where it's supposed to be, when it's supposed to be. Say, God, I'm going to submit my will to yours. And the fourth thing, be obedient to God's will. Trust the Lord desires what is best for you. Be obedient with the certain so that you are ready to follow through with the uncertain. What do I mean by that? You're praying for something, right? Maybe a change, some kind of answer to prayer. Prove that you could be obedient with what God has given you now 
So that if he does give you more, give you something that you're praying for, that you will be obedient and honoring to God with that as well. Catch what I'm saying? I had to pray for that when I was in, when I was in pastoring. I said, God, if this is where you have me, I want to honor you with what I'm doing now. Because if you answer my prayer for something else, I, need, I want to be able to honor you with what you give me later on. So if you're obedient with what God has given you, God's desire, say, God, I want to please you now, you will be more ready to please him with what he is giving you in the future. Does that make sense? Be prepared for God's will if you're praying for it. Be flexible to God's will, knowing he may lead you in a direction or in a manner which you don't expect. Be submissive to God's will with humility and reverence. And fourthly, be obedient to God's will. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for this example of this leper, Lord. What what an amazing picture that you were stirred with compassion for this leper. It's an amazing thought to think that you would show compassion to us. Lord, I believe and I know that there's many of us in here, we're praying for your will about something. We're praying, God, can you answer our prayers this way? Because that's our heart's desire. Lord, help us, help our desires to be, I want to seek your pleasure, Lord. What will give you pleasure? Not only what have you planned, but what will honor you, Lord God? Help our hearts, Lord God, to reconcile when our desires and your desires seem to conflict. Help us to be willing to submit to you, Lord God. We thank you and lift this up to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.